Yoshi over here. Yoshi, we've been praying for you, man, every day. So we love you and we're praying for you. Let's open our Bibles, Luke chapter 19. And we'll continue in our series going through the gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 19, we're in really the last section here before Jesus arrives at Jerusalem, which Jesus has been heading week by week, getting closer and closer to what will eventually be the Passion Week, which is the final week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. Uh, we know the end of the story that it's not the final week of Jesus' life, right? That Jesus comes back uh, from that tomb and lives as well and lives today. But the final week before his crucifixion. And so he's headed on that way. He's been in the city of Jericho now for a couple of weeks. And uh, now we're looking to continue with that uh, study in Luke chapter 19. And uh, let's pick up together verse number 11. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. We're going to see one of the final parables of Jesus. Luke 19, 11, the Bible says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh or close to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was turned, having received the kingdom, that he commanded the servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, or a severe man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he says unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, taking up that I had not laid down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou thy money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury, with interest. And he said unto him that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which, shall, which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But thou, those mine enemies, which would not, that I would reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. All right, so a little intense, right? So let's see, and let's see if we can get some understanding of what Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples, his followers, in these last days before he comes into Jerusalem. Again, at this point, Jesus is nearing the end, about one week from the end of his earthly ministry at this point. And if you've noticed, the themes we've gotten over the last several weeks have been a little uh, intense, right? Jesus' teachings have intensified. I don't know if you noticed that. A lot of our sermons the past few months have been about heaven and hell and urgency and enter now into the kingdom. And uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but a lot of hell's hot and forever's long kind of sermons the past few weeks. That's what Jesus is talking about. As he comes to the end of his ministry here in Luke, he's really ramped up and clarified the importance of making decisions about eternity. Jesus' teaching just gets intense at the end of this gospel. This morning is not an exception to that. This morning, Jesus gives us one of his last parables, 
not his very last one, but it's one of his last ones, and he teaches us specifically how he calls us to invest our lives. My kids uh, love board games, and as they're getting older, the board games are changing, right? When they were really young, it was, you know, Candyland, and it was uh, Shoots and Ladders, right? We're, we're advancing. Graham, Sarah, Sarah just got uh, the book, The Game of Life. You guys know The Game of Life? Uh, where you get the little car and you have to progress through your life and you get a mortgage and you have to, you know, make these decisions. Do I go to college? Do I get a career? All these kinds of things. And so uh, Graham is really kind of processing through the game of life and trying to teach him, you know, you don't just get a house. You have to pay for a house over time, right? Like it's going to take you a while to get this house and you got to make a decision. Well, I want a bigger salary. He says, Welcome to humanity, right? Like, I didn't get the salary that I wanted, right? You're trying to teach them some basic money, financial management. It's a good little tool. Um, last week, uh, someone was watching our kids. Sarah and I went out for dinner. They played the game of life together. And uh, Graham was explaining that he didn't want to get married. And he starts going off on how the wife doesn't, there's no, she doesn't get paid. She's like, she, he like gets really intense on the, she's not bringing anything to the table for me, basically. <laughs> And the, the girl that was babysitting him thought that Graham was like, she's like, your mom, she's like, your mom's awesome, and your mom brings a lot to you. He's like, no, the, in the game. Like, she, she thought she was defending womanhood, and Graham's just saying, adding a wife at this point in the game of life doesn't add anything to me. So we're, uh, we're, we're a little bit more at peace about that, but he, he doesn't, we're teaching him the value of, of these things, but... Uh, you know, trying to instill some basic financial management, some, you know, this is a good decision, this one's going to bring more, you know, some more income to you, this is maybe passive income, this is some, you know, just some uh, good investing advice for kids, through different things like that. It's fun to be able to teach our children these things, um, what it looks like to take risks and manage risks and think through all the kind of things we have to think through. At a base level, we all want our kids to know that if you do nothing else, work hard to earn money, right? Number one, work hard, labor. The Bible tells us that's our responsibility is to provide. Number two, take 10% of that and I give it to the Lord. That's a tie. That's something that's been instilled in me from a child. I, I believe it wholeheartedly. It's a great plan for us. Take another 10% off that and put it into a savings account somewhere and save it for a rainy day. And the other 80%, you steward to the glory of God for the fun of your family and for the well-being of other people. And you do that for the rest of your life, and you'll probably be okay. Okay? Uh, that's basic financial management. So you just saved yourself the Financial Peace University. Uh, no, he's, he goes into much greater detail in a, in a better way than that. But, um, you know, let's just imagine you're a kid and you, you amass 50 bucks. Okay? You got 50 bucks that you've saved over time. And you decide you're going to invest that, okay? You're, you're going you're to play the stock market with your 50 bucks. And you go and you find a ticker you like. And let's say you're a, you're, you're a kid that likes golf. So you look up, is there a ticker G-O-L-F? And there is. Right? I looked it up this past week. It's uh, Foot Joy Shoes and um, basically a golf brand, right? And so you take your 50 bucks, you, you follow the Warren Buffett model, you invest in something you know about and you're passionate about, and it's golf, right? Take your 50 bucks, you buy a couple stocks, and over time, it grows, right? You come back five years later, and your 50 bucks is now, hopefully, bigger, right? You know, maybe it's 90 bucks now. Got a good little 85% return. That's a pretty good return for a kid on a ticker, right? The interesting, wow, oh, how did that happen? Did that extra 40 bucks just materialize, right? All I did is I put 50 bucks in, and a few years later, just 40 bucks magically shows up there, $42 more. Was that just magically created? And we got to explain it, right? They, they took your comp that company took your 50 bucks and all the other dollars from all the other investors, and they went to work. They took your money, your investment, 
they used that capital and they hired engineers and they did research and development to make sure that their golf products are are leading edge and they're developing better golf balls that fly farther and spin less and they're, they're getting golf apparel and golf shoes. They hire marketing people that get that golf brand in front of other people. They're getting ads on golf tournaments and golf gear. And they're trying to get everybody to see their, their product is visible and important. And they've got a good customer service department. They took your money. They went to work with it. They grew their company. They grew their business. And then guess what? You received something from that investment, right? Because they worked hard with what you gave them. Now you get to reap a little bit of the rewards. That's what's called ROI, right? For our people that are much smarter with money than I am, right? Your return on your investment. You're able to capture some of that return for yourself. You say, well, that's interesting, but what are you talking about? I'm not saying that's to bring some level of financial education, okay? Um, that's what our passage is about today. It's about investment. It's about taking what's been invested in us and providing back to the Lord a return on that investment. He's telling this parable in this story, and it's a parable of investments. In this parable, in this story, Jesus, he's the investor. He's the one with the capital. He's the one that makes things go. His investment in us is the very life that he's given us. He has given us the opportunity to be here. We came from Jesus. Not one of us cast a vote and said, you know what, I'd like to be born. Right? We came for the Lord. Jesus gave life to us. He's invested in us. He's the resource that's been poured into us. And the ROI, the return on investment, then is at the end of our lives, what have we done with what Jesus gave us to build his kingdom? What is the return he's getting for the investment he's made in us? He's the king. He's the investor. What is the return that comes back in this kingdom because of the way that I've lived? Because of the way that I've given? Because of the way that I've invested? Will there be a return on Jesus' investment in me? Or will I squander what he's given me? Will I be a high ROI kind of investment or low ROI kind of investment? Now, if I can make a really quick clarification before we get into it, okay? The text, like today's text, it may look like when you first read it that this sounds like a burden. Oh, I've got to give Jesus a return. Jesus didn't just give it to me. He wants me to do something with it, right? It's not a burden. This is a blessing. So many people, so many friends, loved ones, family members that we have go through life not knowing what their purpose is. Just kind of floating through their day like a kite in the wind without a tether, right? Whatever new thing they need to be passionate about, they pursue that. Whatever new hobby they can have, they run hard after that, right? They just kind of float through life without much purpose. I don't know what, my do what I'm doing. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my direction is. But Jesus in this passage, Christian, gives us a direction. He gives us a purpose, that I'm here doing my father's business. I'm here stewarding the life that he's given me so there's a return on the investment for what he's blessed me with. I'm in the business of the king. He said, well, yeah, you're a pastor. No, you're in the business of the king. You're a follower of Jesus. He's invested in you. He's given to you. What is the return on the investment going to be? So let me just remind you this morning that Jesus gave up his life to save us from sin and death and eternal judgment. He has given to us heaven by grace. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. No matter how much we work for the kingdom to be advanced, that's not our salvation. We receive all of it by grace through faith. But that now gives us a purpose. That I have a home in heaven. I now know how to live my life based on that. I have an assignment. 
and I can live every day longing to fulfill it. So we're going to look at this parable this morning. I'm going to give you one invitation and two warnings that Jesus gives us, okay? The first one's long, so don't be scared when we're still in point one in a while, all right? Um, but the number one, the invitation, Jesus invites us to invest well. Jesus invites us to invest well. Verse 11, let's go back. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Now, the things they had been hearing, this is the story we learned last week of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was the wee little man, the wee little man was he. We learned that last week, right? And the life transformation that took place in Zacchaeus' life. The greediest, most con artist, slimiest guy turns into this generous, outward-focused, eternal investment kind of person. He's saying, after having heard about this interaction with Zacchaeus, this guy that used to serve money, that became generous with his money, now, based on those things, Jesus continues. He says he's added and spake a parable to basically bring clarity to what happened with Zacchaeus. As he's headed in Jerusalem, verse 11 tells us, that they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So they thought Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. Jesus is going to set up himself on the throne. Jesus is going to, he's going to establish the kingdom of God now. We're almost there, guys. Just a few more, 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. We're almost to the point where Jesus is going to be the real king of Israel, where Jesus is going to overthrow all of these people. He's going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. He's going to overthrow these, these wicked rulers. They're, they're desperate for it. So Jesus tells them a story to kind of bring clarity to this kingdom. And he tries to do two things through it. Okay, the first is that this kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom. He's trying to explain this kingdom of God is not a, a kingdom with geopolitical standpoints and perspectives and understandings. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's not one where Jesus is going to overthrow Rome and sit in Jerusalem at this moment. No, this is the spiritual kingdom of God. And he's also bringing clarity that the kingdom will eventually come in fullness. It's not next week. He's saying, hey, this kingdom that I've been teaching about, it's a spiritual kingdom, and it's a kingdom that is still yet to come. And he tells that while the kingdom is coming, they have work to do. While the kingdom is not yet here, they have an assignment to fulfill. Let's look at verse 12. He does this through the story. He says unto them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called his ten servants and delivered them each ten pounds. Your Bible might say a mina, right? Ten pounds or mina, and said unto them, occupy or work until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So really quickly, let's, let's kind of decode this parable, make sure we understand it. In this parable, Jesus is represented by the nobleman, by this king who's, who's leaving and going to come back. He's the one who's gone off to be crowned a king and who will return. This is referring to Jesus' two comings, Jesus' two advents. His first advent, we celebrate at Christmas, a few months from now, right? Where Jesus comes, puts on flesh and blood, born in a manger, lived a perfect life in our place, lived, died a brutal death in our place, resurrected. That's the first advent. That's the first coming of Jesus. The second advent is he's coming again someday. We believe and we are anticipating the second coming of Jesus, where Jesus will come and establish his rule and his reign and be victorious and, and rule from the throne on earth. We're waiting for that. But there is a period between the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, and the second advent of Jesus. And this morning, that's where we are, okay? We are in between his first advent and his second advent, or between his first coming and his, and his second coming. That's where we are. So this parable is very applicable to us this morning, because we're in this time period. 
we're in this moment where the nobleman has gone off and he's going to come back as the king. What do we do in anticipation of our king's coming? Now, if you notice, in the first couple of verses, there two groups, there's two groups of people. There's uh, servants and there's citizens, okay? Servants and citizens. Servants, they represent Christians. They represent followers of Jesus who've, who've come by faith in Christ, who have acknowledged and received the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. They follow him as their king. They serve him as their king. They're servants of this nobleman. This would be like Zacchaeus we met last week, right? I've now given my life to Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm now a servant of Jesus. And then we're introduced to citizens. Now, the citizens in this story are representative of those who have rejected Jesus, who have chosen to reject the king. These would be non-Christians, unbelievers, who have chosen to reject the king, the savior. And then Jesus says that to these servants, to these followers of Jesus, to these Christians, right, he gives unto them each one 10 pounds or one mina. Now, 10 pounds or a mina, that'd be a sum of money. It was a large sum of money. It was about equivalent to about three months of labor, of skilled labor, okay? So I looked up this past week, average income in the surrounding area of our church, Five, five or six miles, $75,000-ish, okay? So let's take that three months, let's say it's 15 grand, okay? So 15 grand he gives to each of these servants. Not a small amount of money, right? Uh, a, a really good investment, a gift for him to be able to give to these men, to be able to steward and care for. And he tells them to go, and he says, occupy. In other words, be busy until I come back. Engage in business. The concept was not take this money and sit on it. The concept was not take this money and go on vacation. The concept was I'm giving you an investment. I'm going to be back in a little while. You need to do something with this while I'm gone. Yeah, I'm buying stock in you, right? Here's $15,000. Go and do something with that. So in saying that, he's not just saying, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. Here's a little gift. How many of you guys realize there's a difference between a gift and an investment, right? For the business owners of the room, you realize that your investors did not just give you money, right? They want something on a return for what they've given you. It's not a gift. They say, go and engage in business. This is seed money. This is a capital investment in these individuals. And the idea here is that Jesus is the creator of life, and he has invested into all of us a life to live. That he's given to us time, breath, energy. Some of us, we feel like we had more of that at one point than we do now, right? But he still invested it into us. That comes from him. And notice that for every one of these servants, they get the same amount. If you guys remember the parable of the talents, we studied it uh, before in the Gospel of Luke, different amounts, right? Ten and five and one. This, everybody gets the same. Not different recipients getting different amounts. That story is really about the gifts that God gives us, the talents that God gives us, how they're different for every person. This story isn't about stewarding your gift. This story is about being faithful, okay? This story, this parable is ultimately about faithfulness, that being faithful with what Jesus has given me because he's coming back. So Jesus has invested in us. We've all been invested in. He's given us a life. He's given us a, a commission. We have a local church to be a part of. We have an indwelling spirit within us. We have those of us who have called on Jesus. We're to be faithful to what he's given us until he comes back. Let's see what happens. Verse 15. And it came to pass that when the king returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, okay? So evidently he's communicated, I gave you this money, I'm expecting more when I get back. Right, that you did something good with this. Let's see what happens. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. 
our modern American context, gaining 10 pounds is usually a negative thing, right? But in this, it's positive, right? Gained 10 pounds. Ten, he 10X'd it, right? That's a good return. I gave you this much, that $15,000 has become $150,000. You're a faithful servant. He says unto him, verse number 17, well done, thou good, and, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. Pretty good. You get a 500% return, you're pretty happy, right? Five X. And he said, likewise unto him, be thou also over five cities. So the king comes back now in full authority. He has the kingship. He has his, his rule and his reign, and he brings his service back to him. What have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with the investment? I've 10 x it. Man, it's a good ROI. Well done. Good job. And I love the, I love the wording of verse uh, number 17. Thou hast been faithful. That's a good goal, isn't it? Just say, thou hast been successful. Thou hast been fruitful. Jesus connects returning and investing our lives, not just with fruitfulness or success, but with being faithful. With the understanding that if I don't invest that which he's given me, I am being unfaithful. Right? It says, be faithful. You're, you've been a faithful servant. I'm going to give you a whole lot more. You know what's more than $150,000? Ten cities. Right? Like, he, he says, you've been faithful with this money. Now I'm going to trust you with the rule over these, these cities in my kingdom. Next guy comes in. Five. I have five exit. Five that 15 has become 75. All right, that's pretty good. And again, the nobleman said, man, you've been faithful. Well done. Here's some more. And I want you to know that this conversation the nobleman is having with these servants is an actual, real conversation that you and I, Christian, will have with our Savior. We will have this problem. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your Bibles. It will tell you there is a day coming where we will give an account for our lives. An accounting for what we did with what was invested in us. Where we will stand before Jesus and we'll have this moment of, man, you gave me this and this is what I did. This is what you invested in me. This is what I poured out. This is what I've been able to be faithful with to find this fruit. That when we get to glory, there will be a proportionate reward handed out based on the faithfulness of our lives. So in this parable, the rewards that that the servants get are, are rule over cities. They're going to rule with the king. They're going to rule with this kingdom in, in, a, in an increased capacity than what they already are. For you and I, if I'm honest, I've got my opinions of what this reward looks like. I don't, I'm not quite confident enough in it to be with you this morning to tell you I know exactly what they are. But what I do know is that we can say pretty conclusively based on scripture that our rewards in heaven will be proportionate to our faithfulness on the earth. The way that we stewarded our lives, the way we stewarded the investment that Jesus has poured into us, there will be proportionate rewards given to us in heaven based on that. This came up all the way back in Luke 12. We taught it there too, okay? And so for the Christian, there is some level of motivation in our hearts that heavenly rewards should take place in, okay? Now, it shouldn't be, I don't think it's the primary motivation. We're motivated for the glory of God. We're motivated for the good of people. We're motivated for, you know, the debt we owe to Jesus for the sacrifice he's poured into us. But evidently, there is some level of motivation in Scripture. Man, I want to be faithful because God's going to pour out rewards in heaven, and I want to be a faithful servant. We should plan for that. We should invest in that. And so I just want you to take a moment this morning and imagine that conversation that's going to take place between you and Jesus in heaven. That day where I stand before him, and I have to give an account for what I've done with my life. When the king comes back, and I look back over my life, And I have to bring my ledger book of my investment. 
He says, all right, I gave you this. I gave you life and breath. I gave you forgiveness and mercy and grace. Andrew, what have you done with it? Uh, well, I watched four seasons on Netflix last night, and uh, uh, whenever it asks, you ever, you ever gotten in such a sad place, you're watching a show and it asks you if you're still watching the show? It's bad, folks. Whenever we're there, it's bad. They're telling you you need to turn it off at that moment. Are you still here? Yes, I'm still here. Right? Turn it off. But right? that's what I did. Or, you know, I, I became an expert on these 15 different things. And, you know, I, I went to as many car shows as I could. Or, I, you know, I'm a, you should see my Pinterest boards. Right? Like, you, what did you do with what I was invested in you? Where did the energy and time and effort and money, where did it, what did it produce? Right, you're, you're, a, you're a manager, you're a, you're a boss, you're a business owner. You, you want to see what, what you're paying into your employee, what fruit is coming from that. Right, this is the money that I invested in you for a salary. This is the money that I invested in you to, to work here. What return on that investment am I getting? It's time for you to give an account. You ever had someone that, maybe a boss that said, hey, what did you do last week? And there's a part of you that just doesn't like that, right? What do you mean, what did I do last week? I worked. They want to know, am I getting a return on the investment, right? And usually in my own life where I get real bristly is because uh, the return probably hasn't been very good, right? I don't really want to do that right now because I'm not quite confident in the way that I've invested the investment that was given into me. One day when I see before Jesus, I'm going to say, this is what I was focused on. This is where my energy went. This is where my time went. This is where my effort went. And understand, this is not guilt. This is not shame. This is not pressure coming down, okay, from, from Jesus in this passage. This is honesty, that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and have this kind of conversation, and I, wanna, I want it to look good, right? I want that day for Jesus to say, well done. You're a good and faithful servant. You've taken that which I've invested in you, and you've poured it out and invested in the kingdom. We should want this moment to look like these first two servants. That when I take my last breath on this earth or Jesus comes back and I stand before him, that I'm able to say, you gave me this and look what, look what I was able to pour out for you. I've entrusted you with a little, Jesus might say, and I'm going to trust you with more. This morning you say, well, Andrew, this all sounds good, but I don't even know how to start this. Like, um, how do I start investing in the kingdom of God? That doesn't even make sense, Right? Is there like, is there a bank in Torrington I can go to? Is there a stock, is there a ticker G-O-D on the, on the NASDAQ that I can find and be able to invest in? Like, how do I invest in the kingdom of God? I, I don't know if I can go big right now. I'm so busy and I never really thought about that. I would encourage you just to think about your own story this morning and think about all of the people whose investment you have benefited from. Think about all the people who paved the way for you, who went before you, helped you develop and understand the gospel. Those who paved away a relationship with Jesus for you, helped you grow in your faith. I think about my own story. I think about a church where I was a kid coming in, eating all the donuts. I saw the kids this morning. My kid walked out with a cookie in one hand and a donut in one hand, right? Just living church life like we love church, right? I was a kid. I went to church. I ate cookies and donuts I never gave a dime for. I sat in classes I didn't prepare for. I colored on papers I didn't print. There were little old ladies who taught my nursery Sunday school classes. If I still went back just outside Nashville this morning, I'd find them in the auditorium. They'd tell me embarrassing stories of things that I said or things that I did. There's one woman that every time I would go in the church I grew up in, she's like, I remember when you were three, you told me to get out of my chair. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, ma'am, for whatever that 
harm has caused you. 31 years later, ma'am, I think we need to move on from, from this harm of what I've done. But, you know, they invested. And there's people who set up chairs for me to sit in. I didn't pay for a chair in that auditorium when I was a kid. Give Bibles to me, prepared Bible lessons invested in me. Youth workers who would come to class, they'd probably wake up early on Sunday morning and read over the lesson they're supposed to teach that morning. They'd get up and they'd teach the Bible study and I'd learn, I'd grow and I'd have understanding. We'd go on retreats and trips and there'd be people who'd take time off of work to go and chaperone these trips where I'd go and I'd hear sermons and preaching and make friends and relationships. They invested in me. I think of youth pastors and pastors and leaders and all of them. Bible studies that I attended, brownies that were baked and given where I'd go. Resources that were provided for me. We've been invested in. I remember when I went to school, I went to Bible college, seminary, about 3,000 miles or something away from where I grew up in Southern California is where I went to seminary or school. And uh, when I got there, I was, I was by myself, man. Like I was a few thousand miles away from anybody that I really, really knew. Um, and there was a group of people even in that church that just kind of wrapped us up and invested in us, cared for us, invited us over, had lunch, spent time with them, taught us what their, their testimonies, their stories, showed Jesus to us. There's a whole, and there's got to be thousands of people in my story that have invested, invested in my life. So many amazing things happened to me, and I didn't build any of it. I didn't fund any of it. Right? You guys realize that? 17-year-old kids that are being benefited in our youth group, I don't know the giving records. My guess, they're not pulling their weight, okay? <laughs> My guess is that they're not really funding the, the chips that are given to them on Wednesday nights, okay? Or the s'mores that are provided for them. I, I don't think it's a, it's a, you know, evens out quite a bit, right? No, there's somebody's investing. Right now, we're sitting in a building, and this morning, there'll be somewhere between three and 400 of us that sit in this building. Because there's about 100 of us just a few years ago that gave sacrificially for the Lord to let us buy this building. A few months later, it's about 120 of us that gave sacrificially to buy chairs for this building. Church continues to give sacrificially. The kids that are sitting in that classroom right now are not sitting in a lake because they gave sacrificially, right? But there's investments that produces things for others. No one in this room that was here when we were 100 is looking for you to pay them back. Well, you, you, you didn't come to the church when we were in that bedding facility, did you? Now you come when we got this big place. No, they're not looking for you to pay them back. That's an investment in the kingdom, right? I gave then. I should get a reserved seat. That's not the mentality of church. Anytime I walk into like an old New England church, you ever been in one where they have the cubes or the, where you like reserved your spot? I'm always like, I'm so glad we don't do that now. Like if you bought these chairs, you get like your name engraved on them. This is my chair. No, this is, this is a gift of the kingdom, right? This is for others. We just show up sometimes, folks, and we benefit from all of this. This past week, as I sat in my office, looked at my window, and saw a group of five or six folks out there trimming flowers and cleaning up trees and raking leaves. There's someone who came in yesterday and vacuumed this auditorium. There's someone that opened the door for you and you're on your way in. Jesse's spent however many hundreds of dollars on donuts over his life, so you guys can have donuts when you come in here. You guys realize that? We have never bought a single donut at this church for a Sunday morning service. There's one gentleman who buys all the donuts, and he's done it since we were 30 people, folks, and there's more donuts now, right? It's an investment in people. It's an investment in others. It's an investment in the kingdom. 
where you invest your energy and your life, and you don't know what the return's going to be. You take your mina, you take your, your 10 pounds, and you invest it in the kingdom. So I'd say, you know, where do I start? I'd ask you to start with thinking, well, whose investment meant something to you? And then you go do that for somebody else. You invest in them. What are the people that have benefited from you? The, the, the churches, the ministries, the people that have benefited from your investment. We come in this morning eating donuts that somebody else paid for, chairs that somebody else paid for. Someone else showed up early to set up everything to make sure your kids' classes were ready to nurseries or staff. We're benefiting from investment right now. We're benefiting from people's investment. Volunteers, people give and serve and lead and labor. The investment that Christians make, Jesus is inviting us all to do that, to invest in his kingdom. To invest our lives, to invest the, the 10 pounds or the, the mina that Jesus gives us to be the person that buys the Bible for the teenager. To be the person who, who mentors and, and helps a, an unbeliever. To be the person who's uh, willing to open a door for somebody else. To be the person who invests in a church planner or a missionary to send them to the field. To be faithful with what he's given to us. To be the person who prays for our missionaries when no one else sees it or knows it. To invest our lives for the king, to invest our lives in the kingdom. So then someday when I have this accounting moment with Jesus, I'm not embarrassed for the way that I spent the life that he gave me. Jesus, I want to give you a 10x return for what you've given to me. We have a purpose. We have a mission. Don't see it as some kind of burden or oppressive. It's, man, Jesus gives me this. I want to I do something with it. He invites us to invest well. Number two, number two, Jesus warns us not to waste the opportunity. He warns us, don't waste your opportunity. Jesus gives these minas, these 10 pounds to these servants. He highlights three of them. We don't know how the other seven did, okay? But three of them we find out. Two of them, it's gone well, 10X, 5X, great returns. A little bit different outcome in verse number 20. Another one came, the Bible says, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared you. Because you're an austere man. The word austere means severe or intense. You take up what you didn't lay down. You reap what thou didn't sow. In other words, you're, 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 you're vicious. You're intense. You, you take what's not yours. Now, New Hope, this is our 60-something week in Luke, okay? What we have learned about Jesus so far in Luke's gospel, where we learned his character, we learned who he is, we've, we've seen all that we could affirm in him. Can we all agree that this is the worst possible description of who Jesus is? A severe man who takes what's not his, robs from those who have worked diligently. Luke has made it beyond clear that Jesus is exceedingly generous. Jesus is exceedingly kind. He's abundantly gracious. That's who Jesus is. So one of two things is happening here, okay? Either one, the servant does not know his master very well. And you know, I heard you were big and bad, right? Or he's making an excuse for the reason he didn't do anything. My heart seems to lean towards the second, just based on what we're seeing here. You ever had a moment where you got caught and you just start scrambling for a reason you did something? You got busted, you got caught red-handed, and you just need to find a reason for what it was, right? Did you steal that cookie? Did you eat that cookie that you weren't supposed to eat? Yeah, I was, you haven't fed me lunch yet, right? Yeah, I don't think the dad's mean. I think you got busted for eating. I, that's not a personal testimony from anyone in my family or anything, I promise. Um, but, you know, we just kind of come up with an excuse, come up with a reason 
kind of make up something. I don't think this guy was really like sitting there afraid, trepid, terrified of his master. I think he got busy and distracted and his 10 pound or, or his mina just ended up sitting there. He says, well, I, I knew you were harsh and I knew you were mean and I didn't want to mess it up for you, Lord, so here you go, right? It's yours. Verse 22, he says that Jesus says to him, basically, I'm gonna condemn you with your own words, Jesus says. I love this. Jesus is so quick-witted. He says in verse 22, out of your own mouth will I judge you. This is brilliant, by the way, from Jesus. What, what the nobleman is doing here, he's, he's not affirming this description of himself or agreeing with the servant's description of himself because he knows it's an excuse. So he says, okay, let me condemn you with your own words. He's going to trace the logic of this excuse to its end and show that it's just, it's baloney, okay? I'm going to condemn you with your own words. Verse 22, he says, if you knew I was a severe man, or an austere man, taking up what I didn't lay down, or reaping what I didn't sow. Why didn't you give thy mon my money into the bank? That on my coming, I might have required mine own with, with interest, with usury. So he's saying, if I'm such a harsh guy, and if I'm so mean, why did you stock up and save that which I give you in the first bank of handkerchief? If you were so scared, that when I came, you wouldn't be able to give me what I gave you, or you wouldn't be able to give back that which I had provided for you. You could have at least put it in a bank where it would have gained 0.01% interest, right? You could have done something with it. So I don't quite buy your excuse, Jesus says. The idea is for us, like, man, some of us, if we're not swinging for the fence for Jesus with our lives, Jesus is saying something like, find some place to get started. Man, I don't know if I can, like, give away all my money. I don't know if I can, like, serve 30 hours a week. I don't know if I can do At least do something, Jesus says. Don't, don't just take what's been invested in you and hold it up in a handkerchief somewhere watching Netflix, okay? Do something. Start small, I think is what Jesus is telling us. A small investment in something. Okay, pretty basic financial principle is something is better than nothing, right? Do something. And so some of us might be here, you know, I love Jesus, and, you know, I, maybe I've recently become a Christian, I just don't know what to do. I've never served in a church, I've never given money away, I've never made the disciple, I've never invested in anybody else, I have no idea what to do. Andrew, I want to invest my life, but I don't even know what that means. Well, the encouraging news is you can start somewhere. Somewhere. Jesus even affirms investment in a bank account here. So you can say, you know what, I've never served anywhere. Well, start serving somewhere. Pastor Justin's gone this week, but Dan, Zach, myself, we're here. Go find him. Say, I want to serve somewhere. I promise you we have somewhere. We have lots of somewheres, okay? Somewhere. We have people that open doors. We have people that clean floors. We have people that do a thousand different things around here. So I, I can't open up a Bible, and I can't do like, well, we got somewhere. We got a lot of times we stack these chairs for Awana. Poor Dan can take his headphones out of his ears, and you can stack with him, right? I'll tell you a joke, I promise. It'll be great. It'll be great. There's, there's places. Just do something, right? So I, I've never, like, given a bunch of money away or tried to invest in a, in a church plant or never tried to support a missionary. Actually, just do something. Literally something. You, this morning, you could literally invest $1. $1. And pray that God multiplies that dollar. Start somewhere. Your steps of faithfulness. Somebody's like, I've never been to church two weeks in a row. You are 50% there, right? Do something. Something. 
Small steps of faithfulness, small steps of obedience. I, what I love here is Jesus says, if you are faithful with a little, I'll give you more. This thing kind of scales upward, okay? Like the heart of Jesus behind this is like a parent who just applauds every little milestone of their kids. Our youngest right now, we are beginning the potty training phase of parenting, okay? It's our last one. We're looking forward. To, we're going to have a seance and burn all the diapers in our home. It's going to be wonderful, right? We're in that beginning process, and we are in the celebration process, right? This kid goes to the bathroom in the bathroom, and it is like the Detroit Lions won the Super Bowl in my house. Woo! M&Ms are flowing. Positive affirmation is everywhere. Why? Because you went to the bathroom, right? Smallest step. Gold medals, candy, celebration, fun dance. Whole family's going out for ice cream, right? That's the heart of Jesus here. You did something, right? You took what I gave you and you did something. And so many of us were like, well, I can't swing for the, like, I know these guys. I know they're, they're swinging for the fences for Jesus. They're pouring themselves out for Jesus. They're, they're starting things. They're moving things. They're giving themselves. I can't do that. Do something. Do something. That's the heart of Jesus here. Be faithful with a little bit. He wants to see you invest well. He wants to see you reap a heavenly reward. Sometimes we just don't do anything. Get started. Get started. Jesus summarizes all this in verse 24. He said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that have 10 pounds. They said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds already. For I say unto you that everyone, everyone that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Now this sounds kind of harsh. Basically he says, you know what? The guy that stuck the pound in a handkerchief, take it from him and give it to the guy that 10 would it. That sounds kind of mean, right? That guy already has a bunch, right? Why would you take from him that only has one and give to one that has 10? Let me, let me explain it to you, okay? Let's say you have two financial planners. You hire two different financial planners. I want you to take my retirement money. I want you to take my investments, and I want you to manage it for me. Half your money goes to one, half your money goes to another. One half, this guy is killing it. I mean, 15% year after year just continues to, to grow and develop. Your money is just growing, growing, growing with this one financial advisor. The other one has never brought back 1%. After a couple of years, what are you going to do? You're going to take it? You're going to give it to the guy that's doing something with it. Right? Like, yeah, thanks for the effort, man, but thanks for nothing. Right? I'm, I'm going to give this to the one that's going to do something with it. How many of us would take the money from the one financial advisor and put it with the other? It's kind of common sense what Jesus is saying here. It's kind of a matter of math. And math is a little less forgiving emotionally sometimes than we'd like it to be. What this passage is not implying, let me be very clear, let me be very clear, is that the unwise investor has lost his salvation. That's not what this passage is teaching us. This, uh, this passage does not have a salvific, salvation, gospel kind of theme really at all. In this parable, he's still referred to as a servant. He's not removed from being a servant made a citizen. He's still a servant. He's still in the king's court, so to speak. He's still in the king's kingdom. He's just not rewarded in the same way these other faithful servants will. He's wasted his opportunity. And that's the warning. Invest well and don't waste it. We get one life. We have one life. Invest it well. It is so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It is so easy to miss the purpose of our lives. It is so easy to tuck our mind away in a little handkerchief of distraction 
a little handkerchief of busyness, a little handkerchief of hobbies, and just wait for Jesus to come back, to, to welcome Jesus into our hearts, to make sure we get to heaven when we die, and then just kind of veg out for the rest of our days. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thanks, Jesus, for, for forgiveness and grace and mercy. Now I'm just going to chill for a little bit, right? Like, I'm just going to hang out here and relax, and enjoy the assurance that I have in my relationship with you. And I'm just going to, you know, have cable news on 24-7 and sit around and do what I'm going to do. And what we don't do, or what we want to do, is have this conversation with Jesus and have an accounting conversation with Jesus. And he says, hey, good news, man. You, you, you've taken that which I've invested in you, and I multiplied it. What we don't want to say is, Jesus, I, kept, I, I took what you gave me, and I didn't lose it. You gave me life, and I had it. I kept it safe, and, you know, I, uh, I tried to, to do some spiritual things, and I tried to go to church sometimes, and I tried to do what I could do, and, you know, I was faithful. I'm still a Christian, and then I was just kind of doing what I was going to do in between. It all went by so quick, Jesus. I didn't realize you'd be back so soon. We waste the opportunity, and that's an awkward conversation. We might have to say, well, Jesus, did you make one disciple? Right, that's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Did you make one? Well, no, but I watched every episode of The Office three times. Okay, well, good, good. Well, did you, you know, did you serve my bride on hurt? Did you serve the church in some way? Did, did, you, did you serve others? No, but if you want to know, like, how UConn basketball did last year, I know every score, and I know the recruits coming in next year. Okay, did, did you share the, your faith? Did, did you at least take the salvation that you received and tell somebody else about it, right? Did you share the good news with anyone? No, but I voted the right way. Well, good, good. Did you mentor someone? These new believers, these babies that are around, did you, did you mentor any of them? No. No, I didn't. This is not a conversation that any of us want to have with Jesus. I don't know how this gets sorted out. I, I know there's no shame in heaven. I know that. We're told that. There's, there's no feelings of shame or guilt because all that's gone. But I do know there's a real warning here that we get one mina, one life to invest, and we want to invest it well. We don't want to waste it. So I'd ask you, where can you get started? Get started. Okay, the good news of this is we're still in this period where Jesus hasn't come back yet. Okay. The good news is if we're in the room, we got breath in our lungs, we're alive, we got time. Okay? We got time to invest. We're still breathing. We still got a chance to invest. Met a few people that get to retirement age, realize they forgot to save for retirement. What is the best advice? Do something now, right? It would have been better if you had started earlier, but now do something, right? You're gonna try as you get there, try to invest a little bit, get a little return, right? The horizon's not quite as long, but still you got. Make some action. Get the plan on the runway and start heading on the tracks. Let's do something, right? And so whether you're in the room and you're young and you've got this whole life in front of you, so to speak, of what, you know, you're thinking about what you want to do, what you want to be, what God's calling you to, I encourage you to think about investing your life for the kingdom. That whatever you do, if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a school teacher, that you view it with a call of, I'm investing my life for the king. I'm not just fulfilling some financial obligation for my job. I'm investing in people. I'm sharing the good news. I have an opportunity to invest my life for the king. Maybe you're older in the room and you have regrets about how you didn't invest your life so far. Get the plane on the runway and let's go. Let's do something. There's someone you can bless. 
there's a new Christian in this room that you can take out to lunch and answer their questions about the Bible. And you know what's the good thing about that? There's some humility and honesty with saying, you know what, I don't quite know that answer, but I can point you to someone that does. Be honest. Spend time with people. Invest in the kingdom. Is there a neighbor you can share Jesus with? Some of you lived next to for 20 years and never told them. Hey, we can do that. And we want to be clear, we don't work for our salvation, Christians. Jesus squared all that up on the cross. We're just saying it's finished on the cross. We don't work for our salvation. But we do have a job while we're here. That's to invest my life for the kingdom. I want to bring salvation to people through Jesus. I want to give glory to the king. I want to bring his kingdom here on earth. And so I just want to take a moment here, and this, this December marks 10 years of Sarah and I being at New Hope, and some of us have been here from the very, very beginning, and we want to celebrate that for your faithfulness and uh, your patience um, along those 10 years. But I have also just want to take a moment and give gratitude and praise to those who are in the room and praise God for those in the room who have swung for the fence so often over these past 10 years. In this room this morning, there are some incredibly high ROI kind of investors. Those who have been faithful to really give of themselves, not just financially, but some financially, but many of us, just through time and effort and energy and gifts, that they have invested in this place. High ROI type of investors. And that's really helpful when you have a young, small church, because uh, we all do everything, right? Back then, there was a couple missionaries that were sent out. When we got here, there were zero adult baptisms. Ten years later, there's somewhere between 150 and 200 new believers' baptisms that have taken place. Why? Wow, that's, that's an ROI on investment. We didn't have any church planners really that we were getting behind. Now there's nine that we're supporting on a regular basis, looking to add more these granddaughter and granddaughter churches. There's, you know, we didn't really have much in the world of future plans or strategy or acreage or facility that God will be able to allow us to use for the kingdom. Millions of dollars given over the last 10 years. Millions of hours of volunteer labor given. Those are investments in people. Those are investments in the kingdom. Christians making disciples in, in groups and in kids ministry and nurseries and in youth groups. And none of that happens without the people of God investing their mina. Without the people of God investing their time. This doesn't happen through a program. This doesn't happen through a paid staff. This is the people of God investing their lives knowing the king is coming back and I want to be faithful. It doesn't happen without the investment of God's people. It doesn't happen without the investment in others and praying faithfully and giving generously and serving consistently and waking up early and making disciples and opening your home to welcome people and encourage people and investing in children. So we want to say this morning, well done. I genuinely mean that. But let's stay the course because we have a job to do. And there's nothing better that we can give our lives to than investing in the kingdom of God. Okay, so number one, Jesus invites us to invest well. Jesus cautions us. He warns us, don't waste the opportunity. And number three, Jesus cautions us of the, of the consequences of rejecting the king. Last verse here, verse 27, we see that there are real world consequences to rejecting the king. In our last verse, remember the language here, the king is no longer talking to servants. He's shifting, he's going to talk to citizens, Okay. The Christians, the servants, they were talking about getting the different degrees of rewards based on their faithfulness. These unbelievers are going to receive something else we see in verse 27. Let's read it together. But those who are mine enemies, these are the citizens we met earlier in chapter 11, or chapter 19, which would not that I would reign over them, in other words, they rejected me as their king, bring them hither and slay them before me. Now, how many guys, that's your life verse, like your favorite verse in the Bible? You guys have that crocheted 
hung up in your home somewhere right over the mantle, right? A little intense, right? Probably not. Got it, you know, tattooed in Greek in your forearm like some of the other, no. Probably not. It's a harsh verse. It's an intense verse. And it's in here for a couple reasons, okay? Number one, this is very common in the first century when a new king would come into his kingdom. It literally any and all naysayers who refused to submit themselves to the king would be killed, okay? Pretty common language. As the new king comes in, if you're anti-new king, you are anti-living, okay? Uh, you're not going to submit yourself to the new king. You're, you're going to be off with your head kind of mentality, okay, is the way that the kings are going to treat you. Executed you, all your family, it was, it was intense. And so some commentators, and I tend to disagree with them, think that this is just illustrative, that those who didn't believe in Jesus, those who didn't, weren't faithful, those who didn't submit to the king, they, they just, you know, in the story, Jesus says that the king comes back and, and slays them. I think this is actually a much sterner warning in reality. This is a warning about the coming judgment for anyone who does reject Jesus. Did you know that Jesus literally talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? And some people wrongly say, you know, the God of the Old Testament's like super intense. New Testament God is all love and mercy and whatever. Um, I, I want to say this kindly. That's, I didn't read my Bible 101, okay? Jesus talks about hell a lot. More than the prophets. More than anyone else in Scripture, Jesus gives us these warnings. It's not like Old New Testament, the Old Testament God was super intense, and New Testament is kind of mellow grandpa God, right? He's just kind of calmed down a little bit. Same God, same character, same judgment. And it's usually with this uncomfortable imagery Jesus paints of like, just makes you squirm a little bit. Things like fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning's text, slaughter. That's a heavy word, slaughter, right? Slaying. Why is that? Why, well, I would propose, couldn't it be at least in part to wake us up? How else do we shock people out of indifference, out of the callousness of our hearts, out of the distractions of our world, out of apathy? I think Jesus wants us to wake up and realize there are real consequences for rejecting him. And he wants us to wake up because he loves us. He wants us to wake up because he, he's warning us here. Because he wants us to know what happens if we reject him. If we reject his kingdom until the end. And he warns us because he wants us to know what's at stake in our lives. What's at stake in the lives of people around us. And why this mission that we're on and why this kingdom that we're investing in is so important. Why it matters. Why would I invest my life in something? Well, because it has real-world eternal consequences, heaven and hell kind of consequences. And additionally, where this verse might sound harsh, we should be able to read it in light of what Jesus is going to do one week from right now. Yes, it sounds harsh, but we have to read the judgment of Jesus in light of Jesus' sacrifice. The one who speaks the words of this warning the one who speaks the words of this, of this condemnation, of this slaughter, is the same one who's about to be slaughtered himself a week from this point. So that you don't have to receive that slaughter. He's not only foretelling what is happening, he's providing a path so that we don't have to go through it. He's the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. He's the one who's going to take the punishment that we deserve. And again at this point, Jesus is 15 miles from Jerusalem. The cross is looming in the mind of Jesus. He knows he's one week away from his execution. 
that he came to take the slaughter so I don't have to. And on that cross, Jesus did not just endure the pain of Roman executioners. He endured the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin so that we don't have to. So yes, it sounds intense. And yes, it's, it seems harsh. But the good news of this text, the good news of this warning is that, again, at least in this moment, you have breath in your lungs and it is not too late if you're hearing these words that Jesus is calling out your name. Do not harden your heart to that. Respond in faith and trust in Jesus this morning. Now is the time to turn to Jesus. The good news is Jesus is still inviting his enemies to become his children. He's still welcoming those who opposed his rule to become a servant in his kingdom. He's still welcoming those who have done nothing but hate and despise and mock him to receive his love and care and fatherly affection. And so if you haven't done that this morning, would you do it today? If you're in a position today where you say, you know what, I'm ready to receive the grace that comes from Jesus. It's free of charge to you, but it was very expensive to him. And this morning he holds it out as a free gift. And our prayer this morning is that you would respond with faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us. And if you're in the room and you're a Christian, can I just say because of this good news, because of the gospel that we don't have to fear death, that we don't have to fear judgment, that there is no more slaughter awaiting me, there's no more hell awaiting me for those of us who are servants of the king, man, I want to steward my life in response to that. That what awaits me on the other side of eternity is the rewards for how I stewarded this life. And so do this with me, okay? Just think for a moment. My future is secure. The only thing that's in front of me this morning is an opportunity to invest in God's kingdom. And my hope and my prayer is that on that day, I might hear like these first two men, well done. My good and faithful servant, you've invested well. You've taken that which I've given you, and you've done something with it. And my hope this morning is that you see the fatherly heart of Jesus, that as some of us maybe drop a dollar in an offering box, or we sign up to hold a, a, a baby, or we're, you know, serving in some way for the kingdom, or inviting people into our home, or trying to share Jesus, that our Heavenly Father is celebrating the investment in his kingdom. New hope, may this be true of us. And if you're in the room this morning, our invitation to you is the one we extend every single Sunday, that you would come to faith and trust in the Savior, that you'd find the forgiveness of your sins that he offers, that you'd see this, this coming condemnation through the eyes of the one who's paved a way for you around it, and that this morning you'd come to find the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. Would you bow with us for prayer? We'll be dismissed in just a moment.